Good evening. I just want to first of all say thank you very much for the invitation to be able to be with you here again and, and speak to you uh, during your summer series. And uh, just want to um, say a sarcastic thank you to whoever it was that assigned me this topic for tonight. I really appreciate it. <laughs> but I'm kidding. It's, it's just as, it's as biblical as any topic. And all biblical topics, really, when it comes down to it, we're just talking about the truth. And uh, from time to time and from generation to generation, every generation seems to have its own problems with different aspects of the Bible. And I'm talking about the world around us. Each generation tends to have certain aspects of biblical teaching that that they can gel with and be okay with and support and, and, uh, and always has something uh, in, the, in the biblical teaching that the generation seems to really chafe under and have a problem with. Uh, if I say to you tonight that um, I'm talking about an aspect of what has come to be called cancel culture, I think everybody in the room here will understand what I'm talking about, uh, so-called woke culture. I preached a series at Laverne just recently in which we talked about that um, at length, and it's extremely, extremely important. Uh, today in the media, uh, people that will not support certain immoral uh, ideas about how to be human, how to live life, how to think of sexuality, uh, there is a very strong, I won't say undercurrent, I'll say overcurrent, in those who are the movers and shakers and controllers of the media, Hollywood, the music industry, most of the arts, and they, their influence has become so powerful that the business world, left and right, is falling prey to this ideology. And if you do not support the idea, first of all, that homosexuality is a perfectly moral way to live life. Secondly, if you do not support the idea that someone born a male could grow up to be a woman or someone born a female could grow up to be a man, you're accused of being backward, hateful, and frankly evil. And there are folks in your field of business, whatever field it is, that if they have the opportunity, will do everything in their power to ruin your life, ruin your career, and destroy you. And they will do this in the name of what they call love. In our culture today, this so-called woke culture uh, on homosexuality and transgenderism is killing thousands and thousands of young people while they still live. And I want you to think about what is happening to so many thousands of families across Western civilization in our period of time. Because for every one set of parents that brings a child into the world and is so, quote, woke, unquote, that they decide they're just going to let that child decide what sex, what gender he or she wants to be and what he or she's going to believe. For every one family like that, there are a hundred who are trying to raise their children to be what they were born to be, but they are betrayed at some point in adolescence or in early adulthood to find out that their little boy or their little girl that they had all of those dreams about in the womb, changing the diapers, bringing that toddler up, all those dreams about these little boys that were going to grow up to be men and their families, they were going to have a wife and give grandchildren to, to the parents and 
All of these families with these little girls that they dressed in ribbons and bows and they taught them uh, how they were going to grow up and find a husband and they were going to be a woman and how they were going to serve God. There are thousands of these families who have had those dreams murdered by this transgender agenda that's going on in our world and those dreams are gone. The little boy is gone. The person is still there but just a corpse, just a walking living corpse of what once was the little boy. Just a broken mess of what once was that little girl. One of the greatest shames that this that has ever been relevant to this nation is the fact that there are so many people who are celebrating this and that there are even more who know that it's wrong, who know that it's evil, who know that it's just about as crazy as it can possibly be, who nevertheless, because of fear, are keeping their mouths shut. My brothers and sisters, I hope that that is not you and that is not me. The claims of this so-called woke culture are that biological sexuality and gender are only connected by choice. In other words, if you're born biologically male, you can choose to be whatever gender you want to be. Even if you cannot change your biology, you can change everything else and decide that you will be she, her, hers, rather than he, him, his, and vice versa. The claim is that if someone feels like a different gender than their biological sex, that it's possible for them to transition into the sex that they prefer. In spite of the fact that this is outright insanity, it is so widespread. And brothers and sisters, we all know that that is true. And I would suspect that there are families in this room that have already been affected by this. If I talk about what we might call today simply homosexuality, there's scarcely a family that hasn't been hurt by it. But the number of those who are believing the lie that they can be whatever sex or whatever gender they choose to be is growing and more Christian families are having to wrestle with the problems that comes from this deception. Ultimately, I want you to realize tonight that the claims of this cultural movement are essentially that God makes mistakes in the way that he knits together babies in their mother's wombs. That God sometimes gives a feminine soul to a masculine body or a masculine soul to a feminine body as if God wouldn't know the difference if there were such a thing. But ultimately when you say that, oh, I should have been born a boy but I was born a girl or I should have been born a girl but I was born a boy, Many people don't realize that they're simply pointing the finger at God and saying, God, this is your fault. This is your mistake. And that's blasphemy. So from top to bottom, when we talk about this subject, we're talking about grievous sin on every level. But the Bible teaches us that God doesn't make mistakes. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. I want to say tonight to everyone in this room, and I, I expect that, it, so to speak, I'm preaching to the choir, but I don't know what someone in here may be struggling with. 
And I suspect if this lesson is shared out on the internet, that it will almost certainly be viewed by someone who's wrestling with this subject. And so I want to say here from the outset, as I talk about God's Word with regard to sexuality and gender and the truth about uh, gender, I want to say that as Christians, we don't hate anyone that we disagree with about anything. And if you're watching this lesson or if you're sitting in the room here and you've been wrestling with this subject, I want you to know that God does in fact love you and I love you and I know that this church loves you. And what we want more than anything is not for people to die, not for people to be ruined, not for people to be lost. We want people who have been so abused and deceived by the devil to find the truth and be saved. We want them to be delivered from the bondage that Satan has placed them under. And ultimately that's all we're trying to work towards. And if you hate us for doing our best to tell you the truth, we feel bad about that, but we love you anyway. And we're going to keep doing our best to tell you the truth. Because that's the only way to love somebody is to tell them the truth. If you go along with a lie, you're just as bad as the devil. We're not going to do that on purpose, are we? So we're put into a position. We didn't put ourselves in this position. We find ourselves in a very unfortunate position in this culture, and all we can do is deal with it in the most loving and righteous way we know how. You see, God doesn't make any mistakes. And so when we read passages like this one from Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, a symbol for the womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Listen to this line. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now what this passage says is, first of all, that God is personally involved with the formation of babies in the womb. Now I know immediately folks are going to say, what about those poor babies that, that, that don't survive the process of, of, of life in the womb? What about the babies that are deformed? What about things that don't work out right? Well, one day you'll be able to ask God about that stuff and he may answer you or he may not. Deuteronomy 29, 29. But I will tell you this, I have witnessed in my 48 years of life countless situations of little babies born with all kinds of really sad birth defects that have nevertheless been a source of a lot of good and a lot of love in a lot of people's lives. And so I don't believe God has ever made a mistake yet, even if sometimes we don't understand why he allows some things to happen the way that they do. But I'll tell you one thing, God has never messed up. He's never messed up the Y chromosome or the X chromosome. He's never made a mistake and accidentally made a boy when he meant to make a girl. It's never happened. And he's never accidentally made a girl when he intended to make a boy. That does not happen. God has never made that mistake. If you're born biologically male, you will eternally be so. If you are born biologically female, you will eternally be so. These things are the will of God. And we see in this passage that it's not just about biology. But God forms us the way that he forms us because he has a plan for us. And when I decide that the way that God formed me wasn't good enough, that I didn't get the talents that I felt like I deserved, maybe somebody else got more talent in an area than me, maybe it's something I love that I really wish I was good at, 
listen, there are all kinds of things. Everybody in this room can think of at least a dozen ways that we wish that we were born a little different than we are. I'd love to be six foot nine, but I'm not. And that's all there is to it. To me, it would be awful fun to tower over everybody and, you know, just kind of in a friendly way, be pick on people being six foot nine. If you're six foot nine, why wouldn't you pick on people? I mean, you love them, of course. You're not really going to hurt them. But that's not for me. I'm five foot nine. That's all there is to it. It's the way God made me. It's part of his plan for my life. What does that have to do with God's calling for me? I do not know. But that's the way I was formed. And that's, I'm not going to grow anymore. That, that ship has sailed. Right? So, but every aspect of us, if God made you male, if he made you female, if he made you tall, he made you short, if God gave you talent in one area or talent in another area, all of these are little signposts from God that are designed to steer us in a particular direction that are going to lead us to be able to live in a way that is going to profit the kingdom of God, bring glory to God, and share love with our fellow man. And, and no, God hasn't you know, bound us to fate as if we don't have free will. Of course we've got free will. But the way that God makes us points to the fact that in his book were written every one of the days that were formed for each one of us. He has a plan for every life. And when you smack God in the face and say, you didn't make me right, what you're rejecting is God's plan for your life. I hope that makes sense. That's not all the Bible has to say about the subject. Genesis 1, verse 27, you know the passage, and this is really the core passage, the foundational one of the text. So God created man, that is mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. There's a binary in human sexuality. There is male and female. From day six of the creation week, there has always been male and female. This is the way that God made us. There is nothing in between. There's nothing beyond either. There's simply the choice between two with a very clear line drawn right down the middle. You're a male or you're a female. And the truth of that passage is not just a statement of fact that the Bible doesn't base any teaching on. The, the Bible teaches us that there are rules that surround our behavior based upon our maleness and our femaleness. Leviticus 18 verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a, with a woman. It is an abomination. Abomination. Now, maybe we don't all use that word abomination in our normal everyday language uh, these days, but most people get the idea that if something is abominable, that it's, that's not a good thing. But, but really, the, the simple definition of abomination is something that, that is sickening. It's something that's disgusting. And so when God calls something an abomination, God is saying from the divine perspective, from the heavenly vision of things, from God's point of view, this kind of behavior is disgusting. And of course, there are whole churches today, if we rightly even call them churches, that are celebrating homosexual behavior. And so many of them now have, have gone forward just the transgender movement is something that flows from the homosexual agenda. It is a subset or a particular way of expressing homosexual desires and of falling prey to them. And so when we talk about the transgender issue, we're talking about homosexuality. When we're talking about homosexuality today, we're also talking about the transgender issue because they are one and the same and under the same umbrella. We also read in Leviticus 20, verse 13, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, I want to say something very clearly. 
if what was going on, what is going on in America and Western Civ and in other places of the world as well today, if what is going on today was going on in the ancient Mosaic Commonwealth, the government of the people of Israel, there would be a lot of blood flowing. There would be a lot of people put to death. And risking someone misjudging my teaching and misjudging the Bible, I will tell you that there would not be a thing wrong with that at all. That's God's will, what you see on the screen. And I realize that our culture around us has become so distanced from the Bible these days that passages like this, there are many people that are your friends and neighbors, even folks that you might think of as relatively good people that, that are shocked by these kinds of passages and think that can't possibly be true. Why, if the Bible says that, the Bible's got to be wrong. And that's one of the things that we're dealing with in our culture today. I want to make it clear. I'm not saying the United States needs to pass laws and execute these poor folks that have been misguided by Satan. That's not the New Testament system of things. But what we need to understand is, is that even though the system has changed, we no longer live under the law of Moses, we live, live under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, what these Old, passage, Old Testament passages teach, they teach as a principle. The principle remains true today. Now, uh, Romans 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. All sin. So let's go ahead and level the playing field. Make sure everybody understands, pardon me, <clears throat> make sure everyone understands that we're being fair. We're not trying to misrepresent everything. Sinners deserve to die. I deserve to die for my sins. I deserve to be slain by God and cast into hell. That's what I deserve. And I know that very well. And brothers and sisters, I hope that you know the Bible well enough not to be offended when I say, you too. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. But not every sin of the law of Moses received the death penalty. These kinds of sins did. And that ought to speak volumes to us. But it's not just about homosexual behavior itself. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Listen, a woman shall not wear a man's garment nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is, there we have the word again, an abomination to the Lord your God. So let me just ask us all a question. And this is just based on what we're looking at from the word of God. If God considered it an abomination for a man to dress like a woman, or for a woman to dress like a man, what do you think he considers it when someone has surgery? a woman to try to become a man or a man to try to become a woman. I think we have the common sense to understand this is not something that God is pleased with. The claims are ultimately that things have changed since ancient times. We're no longer under the old law. The, the New Testament properly interpreted doesn't condemn homosexuality or transgenderism. You can hear that message in pulpits all across the land. Probably messages about that tonight across the land. And there are people that sit in church and they'll sing a song of praise to Jesus. 
And then they'll hear someone stand at the lectern or at the pulpit and preach to them of how evil all of these Christians have been for nearly 2,000 years for being so foolish to misinterpret because of their prejudices to misinterpret these passages to teach that homosexuality is evil or that transgenderism is sin. And they will twist these passages and the unsuspecting, the ignorant, and the untaught will bite, take the bait, swallow it, hook, line, and sinker. And I feel compassion for them. I remember reading about Jesus looking out at the people of Israel. He had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I'll tell you what, the United States of America today is a nation of sheep without enough shepherds. We'll put it that way. We read in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And so the law has changed. There's been a change of the law. Read Hebrews chapters 9 and 10, and that'll summarize that pretty well. And as a faithful preacher of the Word of God, I've got to recognize the distinction between the Old Testament law and the New Testament system of grace and truth. The Bible makes it very clear that there has been a change of law. But listen, there has not been a change of God's. It's the same God. He doesn't change. When he gave the law of Moses, he was aiming straight forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything that he, that he revealed about himself through the law of Moses and the whole system was designed to culminate in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so everything that God said is not, not a younger God. Maybe he was less experienced and, you know, was more full of a, of a head of steam because of how youthful he was. And now in, in these enlightened times, he's grown up and he's learned better and he's gentler and nicer to people. And, and somehow I get the idea that that's what a lot of people think. I don't have time to go into everything the New Testament says about judgment, but I will say that nobody in the Bible spoke more about hell and more clearly about hell than Jesus himself. People are simply biblically ignorant. I'm not saying stupid. I'm saying simply biblically ignorant. They don't know what the Bible says. And therefore, they make really, really bad mistakes in interpreting it. God has never changed, ever. Not in the slightest. Nor will he ever. And that is the reason why we can trust him implicitly. Because what he says is settled. And we can build our lives on it in faith. Hebrews 13, 7 through 9. Listen, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. I tell you today that the number of folks that have gone through these transgender operations that a few years down the road are coming to states of horrible grief because they realize how they have been deceived and how terribly they've abused themselves. These numbers of people are growing every single day. This is wickedness that comes from the devil that people are suffering under. And I just wish that, that our culture had not gotten so distant from the Bible that people didn't know passages like this. Brothers and sisters, I'm not telling you everything that's ever been taught in any church of Christ in all of our history has always been right. You know better than that. 
But brothers and sisters, when you hear something that is so strange, so outlandish, so radically different from everything that has been taught in the history of the church for 2,000 years, reject it and run from it because it did not come from God. This so-called woke culture, brothers and sisters, did not and does not come from God. We've talked about the Old Testament. We've talked about God doesn't change. We see that Jesus doesn't change. The New Testament teaches. What about this idea of the binary of human sexuality? Well, Jesus affirms that too. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. I want to let you know something. The Greek words here for man and wife are the same words for man and woman. It's the context that has led the translators to translate that as wife because it's a quotation from Genesis 2. And that, of course, is obviously the subject of Genesis 2. So I'm not saying the translation is wrong. But I just want you to recognize that word is the word for woman, for female, not just any person that might take on the mantle of a wife. It's male. It's female. These are the teachings of the Lord. We read this in Romans chapter 1. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Notice I've underlined that. Because what Paul is about to talk about in the Holy Spirit are things that are dishonorable. That means they're not good. They're not righteous. They're dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nation to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Some people say the New Testament has just been misinterpreted. People have just misunderstood. Maybe they've twisted it. Maybe they've mistranslated the Greek. Well, if you can, do the Greek work, and you'll see it's a good translation of the Greek right there. And I think you see on the screen just how very clear and how very detailed the Holy Spirit has been in revealing to us the truth about human sexuality. He's not left anything to our imagination. That's a very clear description of what he's talking about. It's very difficult to misinterpret that unless you are just blindly determined to. You don't want to believe the Bible, God will give you the right not to believe the Bible. But don't misrepresent the Bible. The Bible teaches that homosexuality is wrong, that it's sin, that it's evil. And there are zero ways to interpret the Bible any differently than that and to do it legitimately. The passage that is oftentimes brought up as one that, uh, well, hold on before I'm getting ahead of myself. Romans 1.32, listen again. We saw in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy what God's thought is about those who commit these kinds of sins. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. You see that again? They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Some, somebody maybe uh, isn't a homosexual, isn't attempting to be transgender, but they've decided that they want to be allies and they want to support that movement. And so they're going to go downtown the next time there's a pride parade, and they're going to stand on the sidewalk and clap and cheer them on, according to Romans 1. And so doing, they are just as bad and they are just as evil. You cannot support this, brothers and sisters. You cannot support this movement. There is no biblical way to do it. You cannot support this and be right with Jesus. It is not possible. You absolutely must stand for the biblical binary of male and female. You must. 
It is an essential, fundamental requirement of the faith. There is no such thing as a sound believer in Jesus. No such thing as a real and true Christian that supports the transgender agenda. And there is no such thing as a true student of God, a true Bible-believing and practicing person that approves of homosexuality. There simply is no such thing. We're not done. The truth then, from what we've talked about so far, God doesn't make mistakes. He hasn't changed his mind about human sexuality. In fact, he hasn't changed his mind about anything. Remember, the New Testament is not a change of mind. It is a culmination of what he had already had in mind since before the foundation of the world. And so we can say with authority, if we're Bible-believing people, that male and female are God-given identities, and God never makes a mistake in assigning the sex of a baby, and therefore biological sex and gender are and must be identical and permanent. If you were born biologically male, you got some pronouns assigned to you by God, he, him, his. Those are your eternal pronouns. If you're born biologically female, you've got pronouns assigned to you by God. She, her, hers for life. This is the word of God. No change will be acceptable to him. Now here's the passage that is often radically abused by so-called scholars today. In fact, there's been a, a movie made about it, something of a documentary, a dramatic documentary that is supposed to recount when Christendom lost its sense and began to, to misinterpret this passage and misapply it to the, to the supposed abuse of homosexuals across the world. I just want to spend a minute with the passage so that you'll see just how silly these efforts are to try to twist it. The ESV says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I want you to recognize that statement. We're forbidden, 1 Corinthians 4, to pass to pronounce judgment where the Lord has not pronounced it. The subject we're talking about happens to be one upon which the Lord has already pronounced judgment. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. But do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, they will not be saved, they will not be in heaven. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, we had this in the ESV, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I wish I had more time to talk about identity because people are being taught by counselors today some of them even claiming to be Christian counselors. Thank God most are not. But some are being taught by counselors today that if they experience same-sex attraction, they are in fact homosexuals, as if folks are born homosexual. And that's absolutely false teaching. There are plenty of people that deal with same-sex attraction. That doesn't make them homosexuals. What makes someone a homosexual is yielding to same-sex attraction, giving in to those temptations and embracing it, practicing what it is that they're tempted to do. If you're in the room here and you deal with same-sex attraction, okay. It doesn't make you any worse than anybody else. It just means that's one of your particular weaknesses, one of your particular temptations. And just as I have mine, what mine are, and I'm called by God to resist them as long as I live, my brothers and sisters, God calls you to do the same thing. And if you are a woman who's not attracted to men, don't get married. If you're a man who's not attracted to women, stay single. But you do not have God's approval to decide to find a partner in the same sex. It's an abomination to God. 
In other words, God's word's not mine. It makes him sick. It makes God sick. Sometimes I think we just need to repeat that because it's just so alien to ears that have been trained by this culture. Homosexuality and transgenderism makes God sick. But it doesn't mean that he hates the people. He wants them saved. The only pathway towards repentance is the one that leads through the truth, brothers and sisters. It leads through the truth. So listen, here's a couple of other translations of the verse that's the heart of this passage. Chapter 6, verse 9. King James says, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's translated by that single phrase, men who practice homosexuality in the ESV. The NET says passive homosexual partners practicing homosexuals. There are two Greek words, malakos and arsenokoites. Malakos is a word that was often used to talk about male prostitutes, but not just any male prostitute. Those who specifically served a male clientele. So male homosexual prostitutes. But the word was broader than that. Even though the word was often applied to homosexual male prostitutes, it was applied to the more submissive partner in a homosexual male homosexual relationship in general. Arsenokoites, two words. One that is uh, the word for fire or for burns and the other for well, the sex acts in, in bed. And so one who burns with desire to go to bed with a man. Literal translation of arsenokoites. And so the, Hebrew, uh, the right, Paul, I'll get it right in a minute. The writer of 1 Corinthians, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, when he's talking about the sin of homosexuality, specifically addressing males in this passage, is being just about as specific as he could possibly be. And I'm begging you and I'm asking you, if you've never heard this and you think, I just don't know if that can be true, then research it, please. Ask Keith to help. <laughs> Keith's got a lot of Greek under his belt. He will help you. See if what I'm saying is not true. No teacher of the truth is afraid to be tested. Test it. Put it to the test and see if what I'm saying is not the truth. It is the truth. I know it's the truth. It is the truth of God's word. And so... Some people will say, and this is where the twist comes, and I'm about out of time, so please listen. I don't know how time goes by fast, but listen. Folks are saying, this is about rape. This passage is about a, a male rapist, and that's the one who won't inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, both Malakos and Arsenokoites are lost in this passage. The passive partner in this relationship is not being raped. It is a consensual relationship. And according to the passage, both of them are headed for hell if they do not repent. And again, that's the word of God. I can't read the textual note of the NET, which goes into us in detail because I'm about out of time. But let's just kind of go forward here. Listen, the truth is this. Transgenderism is one way among others to practice a form of homosexuality. And even if people are inclined to dispute the point, God has made uh, his will on the matter clear in both cases long ago, and he does not change. Both homosexual practice as well as attempting to act as the opposite gender from that which you were born, God has said from the ancient world, these things are abominable in his eyes. They are not and never will be acceptable. Love is love. That's a statement we hear all the time, and I heartily agree. Love is, in fact, love. What else would it be? But sex is not love. You can love someone and have sex with them 
and express your love for them through sex, but it's still sex and love is still love. And I don't mean to be rude or crass or in any way overstep my boundaries, but brothers and sisters, I just hope that we all have enough common sense not to fall prey to silly little sayings that people put on these signs and go out in the streets and march under them and they make no sense at all to people that are still able to discern left from right, spiritually speaking. Everyone who persists impenitently in homosexual behavior or identity in any form, including transgenderism, is lost and headed for hell on Judgment Day. And I want you to understand something about Joshua Pappas. I believe when Paul says, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. I believe and I hold myself to that commandment from Jesus Christ. If I don't have a judgment on a matter from God, I am not pronouncing judgment on it. I'll use my skills to discern and tell you what I think is right and what I think is wrong based on my studies from the Bible the best I can. But if I do not have a word from the Lord that says these people will be lost, I'm going to leave it to him on judgment day and let him decide. But brothers and sisters, on this subject, I do have a word from God. He's already decided. And he cannot lie, Titus 1 verse 2. Every person who dies impenitently as a practicer of homosexuality or transgenderism is headed for an eternity in hell. And it's the most loving thing in the world I could say to tell you that, to give you the option to give your life to the Lord in repentance. Do whatever you have to do to bolster your trust in God's word and become immovable in your stance in the truth. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. Hate the sin. Love the sinner. Parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles and Bible class teachers, I beg you in the name of Jesus Christ not to underestimate the persuasive power of folks leading this agenda in our culture. Children are falling prey to this right and left. And if you're not teaching your children about human sexuality, especially as regards to maleness and femaleness before they're in kindergarten, you're not preparing them for the challenges that are coming their way at that age. I'm sorry, but it's true. What do we do about it? That. Thank you for your attention.